Welcome, everybody. It's time for another episode of Asher Sales Sense, brought to you by Asher Strategies, the only global sales training company that integrates leading sales methodologies and the latest neuroscience studies into a simple and repeatable, that's the key, simple and repeatable 10-step process for sales success. Thank you, Paul. Paul is our announcer for Asher Sales Sense, and I'm Dave Potts in the Asher Strategies studio in Washington, D.C., our host today is John Asher, CEO and founder of Asher Strategies, and the title of the show is Creating Urgency, How to Get Customers to Take Action Faster. John's guest is Mike Schmidtman, peer group facilitator, business coach, and producer of the award-winning Transformers webinar series. John, over to you. Mike, great to have you on the show. Thank you, John. It's, uh, as you know, we met in the, uh, at the Institute of Excellence in Sales, which is a great mid-Atlantic organization for salespeople, CEOs, sales leaders. So it's great to establish a, a new uh, relationship. So I started subscribing to your newsletter, and this one last week was really great. So much great tips on how to use humor. And one of the uh, videos you had on there was Dan Pink interviewing um, a professor, I think it was from North Carolina, um, who talked about how to make meetings better and really three great pieces of advice, which of course apply to sales meetings as well. So here's a question for you, Mike, just to get us rolling. In an internet-based globalized economy now that most of us are in, things happen faster. Decisions seem like they get made faster. Companies move quicker. Companies are leaner. You would think that would translate uh, for us in sales that buyers would make sales decisions faster. But that's not what's going on, is it? Actually, John, that's a great point. I would think for transactional sales, it does happen faster. If you want to book an airline ticket or buy a book uh, or a sofa or a TV or anything, that probably happens a lot faster. You can compare. Uh, you have all sorts of pricing applications that help you sort and decide and Etc. But for big ticket sales, the opposite is happening for several reasons. One is, and I say larger, probably anything over $10,000 or so, maybe 50 or 100, certainly anything over 100,000 is taking longer. And that's not just Mike Schmidtman saying that. That comes from Forrester Research, Gartner. Uh, matter of fact, I had a conversation with someone at Salesforce. And of course, they track millions of companies' sales cycles because when people put an opportunity into Salesforce and then when it closes, so Salesforce has metadata on millions of companies, let alone transactions, and they tell me that sales are taking longer. So in bigger ticket sales, for sure, John, it is taking longer, more people are involved, and it's becoming a problem. And I hear this, certainly salespeople get frustrated because they want the sale. The owners are frustrated, and then the vendors as well, because the vendors are counting on the sales, and they don't happen when they're expected to. Well, just give you a couple of examples of what you're talking about, and I totally agree with it. My wife now buys everything on Amazon. I mean everything. She doesn't go anywhere. Foods delivered from Whole Foods, et cetera. And all those decisions are just quick, quick, quick. On the other end of the spectrum, in my old Navy career, decades ago, I was a buyer in the Pentagon. For every decision in the Pentagon, there were 17 people that could say no. <laughs> and so, an average. As you can imagine, decisions took forever. What's really behind all this, Mike? What's really causing it? I think that there are several factors at play. And one is if a seller lacks clarity in their offer, if there's confused, as they say, a confused mind always says no. So many times people don't have a very clear value proposition. Secondly, and you wrote a whole book on this. In fact, it's an excellent book, Close Deals Faster. The entire selling process is involved in the decision. 
And so you can't just waltz in at the end and hope for a decision. It really starts in the beginning where you understand customer needs and, and build relationships, et cetera. So you might say the process, if that hasn't been done correctly, uh, there's nothing to close at the end. I also feel that many salespeople are not at the right organizational level. They may not be talking to the right person who has the authority to make a decision. They may not understand the purchasing process, which can be convoluted. Uh, as you know, in some companies, like in the challenger sale, they talk about they you have to teach the customer how to buy your own services because they may not know what the process may be. But I think the most important reason of all that sales don't close faster is that you don't give customers a good reason to close faster. And if there's no compelling reason to close faster, most people will procrastinate. There you have it, the whole multitude of reasons. But I think the end result is, for especially for larger ticket sales, they are going slower and it's frustrating everybody. Yes, and just to follow up on what you said, one of the most important roadblocks you'll see salespeople run into is they don't follow that Miller-Hyman advice. And that is find out who the real buyers are. And in most sales, there's a user buyer who's going to use you know, your stuff to get their job done. There may be a technical buyer who's got to make sure the laws of physics aren't violated, the specs are met, and that sort of thing. And then, of course, in many cases, there's a strategic or economic buyer, the purchasing manager, CFO, CEO, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of mandatory. You've got to be able to figure that out because all of them have a big influence in the sale. And then you add in influencers, hangers-on, and that sort of stuff. It can take quite a while if you haven't figured it out. Absolutely. And so we, we found that there's an awful lot of neuroscience that goes into these delays you're talking about. An example would be, I'm sure all the listeners have heard the term unique selling proposition. And that really goes back to the old brain, always looking for things that will stimulate it and wake it up. And one of those things is a clear difference. So if you don't give the buyer's brain a clear distinction, it won't decide. But if you can show that you've got that unique selling proposition, not only will the buyer decide, they'll decide a lot, a lot sooner. So that's one aspect. You've got to show a clear distinction. I know you know this. I'm preaching to the choir for you. <laughs> um, management consultants have been talking about having a unique selling proposition for 50 years in our country. And, of course, if you don't have it, the discussion always goes to price. So if the buyer, for the buyer, if the three offers are all tied for first, experience, quality, service, reasonable prices, the buyer won't choose. Right. But if one is clearly different, the buyer will make a quick decision, and the discussion usually doesn't go to the price. So that's one aspect that's all about. And of course, the other that you're really alluding to is the status quo bias. Right. This is a good reason to change to, for all of us, right? Doing what we're doing is pretty comfortable. Right. I've heard that so, term uh, homeostasis, which is status quo. And they, that's the yeah. biggest, probably the biggest enemy of any type of action is um, not doing anything. In fact, uh, when I ask sales organizations what their closing rate is, they usually give me an incorrect answer. They'll say something like, well, we close 50 or 60% of our sales. I said, does that include no decisions? They said, oh, no, 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 no. Probably half of them are no decisions. <laughs> <laughs> My baseline expectation, John, is third, a third, a third. Third, you win, a third, you lose, and a third, they don't do anything. Of course, some are higher than that, especially with your embedded base accounts. Some are lower. If you're doing RFPs, it's probably lower than that. But as a Bayesian, and you know what that is, some type of like initial starting point, a third, a third, a third is about it, which means at least a third of all these sales opportunities that you engage in, nothing happens at all. Exactly. And so what do salespeople do about that third? What are they doing wrong and what, what can they do differently? Well, I feel urgency 
is needs to be baked in the entire process. And most salespeople Good. try to tack it on at the end. <laughs> if they get a non-decision, then they start coming back with, well, you know, I can maybe offer an extra discount or et cetera, et cetera. It really diminishes rather than helps your selling effort because you're diminishing your credibility. So what I do recommend, John, and I know you feel the same way, is that urgency is built in beginning, middle, and end. You can't just tack it on at the end like a sticky note. It needs to be built in the beginning. So let me give you an example of how I like to start it in the beginning. So before we even go down the selling process, I'll ask a theoretical question. Uh, I'll say, if, if you like what you see, the price is fair, could you take action in, say, six weeks? I mean, I'll pick up an interval that's reasonable for that size sale. It may be 30 days or 15 or two months. Could be six months, but any, but I'm setting an interval in the customer's mind before I go forward. So let's say it's six weeks. If you like what you see, the price is fair. Could you take action in 60, 60 days? And they may say something like this. Well, why is that important? I say, well, we always work to get the best possible value for our customers. So we'll go back to the vendors and ask for special promotionary pricing, a special bid. But the first question the, the vendor will ask is, when is this going to happen? And if they say six months, you'll say, well, come back to me in five months. I'm not going to give a special bid that long because usually a special bid will be four to six weeks. So I'll say, look, I'd be, this is really up to you. But if you want to take action, the best pricing you'll get will be if you can do it within 60 days. And they say, okay, well, I guess we could in 60. Okay, great. Second question, then what do you need to see to feel comfortable taking action during that time frame? Well, you've got to leap tall buildings a single bound. You've got to be faster than a speeding bullet, et cetera, et cetera. And you say, okay, great. So if I understand you correctly, if you see an offer, it's fair, solves your problem, faster than a speeding bullet, leaps tall building a single bound, you'd be prepared to go forward. Yes. So what have we just done? Before the selling process has even begun, we've established a parameter, an if, an if parameter. If we meet these conditions, you can take action. And I, I call that planting a seed in the customer's brain. Now, I'm not pressuring them at all. The interval is entirely up to them. But before I start my selling process, I know that if we meet certain criteria, they could take action. So I like to know that ahead of time. I think you would agree with this as well, John, because your book, which is an excellent book, by the way, I really liked it. It closed deals faster, which is really the whole selling process. When I looked at it, there was no gimmicky closing tricks, which isn't you anyway. I mean, you're very authentic and value-based seller. And so your message is the same as mine, which is deliver value before, during, and after, and give customers real value, real reason to do it, and a real ROI, a real reason to take action, and they will. But that's not something tacked on at the end. That's something that's built into your entire selling process. John, Got it. it's time to take a quick commercial break. Over 200 correlation studies show that natural aptitude is the most significant factor in predicting sales success. Asher's Advanced Personality Questionnaire, the APQ, consistently identifies peak performers in outside sales, inside sales, sales management, customer support, and 17 other business positions. Go to asherstrategies.com today or call 866-833-9941. That's Asher Strategies at 866-833-9941. We've been speaking with Mike Schmidtman on creating urgency and getting customers to take action faster 
Now back to John and Mark. Hey, Mike, just to follow up on that last point, I thought that was really great. That's a great new insight um, that I hadn't considered before. And that is when you make that statement about the interval, you're not coming across as a salesperson trying to be too pushy or, you know, you've got what they call it, commission breath, <laughs> that sort of thing. You're really, you're really putting the blame on the vendors. So you're essentially saying, you know, if, if you could close it, um, if you could take action with it about six weeks, then I can go back to the vendors and get the best pricing for you. Right. And they typically won't keep that into effect more than six weeks. And so I have kind of planted that seed in, the, in right. the customer's mind that, hey, I can really get a better deal here. And this guy's really going to be helping me as opposed to the salesperson who's coming across as pushy. I really like that. I, I like to offer a <clears> rationale <throat> for the interval, whatever it may be. I'll move into a little bit of new territory. They they found the two strongest motivators for action are what are sometimes termed limiters. So limited time, limited availability. And of the two, and we see this all the time. You go onto QVC, the Home Shopping Channel, or uh, or eBay, whenever products are bought and sold, they have the countdown. Here's how much time there is remaining, and here's how much. Well, why do they do that constantly? Because it works. It's a subliminal and you're a student of subliminal kind of thinking and motivation, but limiters have real impact. Uh, matter of fact, just to digress just for a second, J.C. Penney, when, when they brought in the, the former head of Apple marketing to transform J.C. Penney, they said, we don't like all these sales. We don't like all these discounts. It's phony. All we do is jack the price up artificially, then give them the discount. That's a shell game. We're not going to do it. So they, he came in and he reduced, he took all the sales away. And he said, fair pricing all the time, and their sales plummeted. People complained, and he was fired over that because people had become so addicted to sales and promotions and coupons, they couldn't exist as a company without them. So I don't happen to like that type of selling myself. And I think Barnes & Noble got trapped in this, and Walden Books got trapped. I used to be on Walden Books' list, and everything was a coupon and this. And I said, I'm never going to buy anything in a store anymore because – Everything's, if I don't get a promotion, I'm not going to buy it. People get hooked on it, and I hate to say it's a sad state because it really is a shell game. But having said that, when I pose that to a customer, it comes from a point of authenticity. I look for ways to save customers money. I look for ways to give them a better offer and solution. And those are legitimate. I mean, if I say there's something coming up in six weeks, that's legitimate. You go to a, a vendor, they'll give you six weeks. That's, that's it. They're not going to give you yeah. a two-year special bid. And oftentimes, there are end-of-quarter promotions. So obviously, with schools, you've got end of June, federal government, end of September. Uh, for many companies, end of fiscal year. And then, of course, August or April 15 is tax time. So you can see there are natural times in the year when there are motivators to take action. I use these vendor intervals, end of quarter, end of month, in ways to help customers. And so as long as it's authentic, as long as you set it up, again, in the beginning of the selling presentation, it's a powerful motivator. You say, look, you're the one who said you wanted to go forward. You're the one who recognizes that this is transformative to your business. You're the one who agreed that this is, is hurting your business by not taking action. So we're trying to help you by making it easier for you to do it. Yeah, another, another example for us is, um, we have a senior woman, Kyle O'Connell, who also hosts this radio show. She's particularly good in a couple of market niches. And Dave, who's the host today, is particularly good in uh, government contracting. So we can easily use their availability 
to give that uh, sense of timing, urgency, right. window of opportunity to the customer. And it's a natural way to do it. And it's authentic. It's real. But if salespeople look for those natural limiters, limited time, limited availability, are you being a pushy salesperson? No. You're acting in, I mean, if, if you were scouring, looking for the best possible offers for your customers, you're supporting your customer. You're not being salesy at all. Um, and, and I always wanted to do that. I always would help customers find what's the best way to get involved. Of course, the worst thing they can do is to not take any action at all. So any action they take, if I have a real offer with a real ROI and benefit, I am helping a customer. And that's my mindset going in. I'm doing this to help you transform your business. You can't do it by status quo. And matter of fact, one more statement here. An old CEO of mine used to say, we're walking up the down escalator. What he meant by that is if you stay still, you're going backwards. You not only have to climb the stairs, you have to climb them faster than the stairs are going down. And our customers are in the same way. Their business is transforming. Their business is changing. If they're not taking action... I mean, imagine what banks and financial institutions would be like if they hadn't automated, if they hadn't gone to the web. And you, you spoke about retail earlier. What happens if businesses like JCPenney are getting crushed right now and Toys R Us, all these people who didn't embrace new technology, they need to do this. They were helping them transform their business and become better businesses, but they can only do that by taking action. So let me uh, bring up the status quo since you've mentioned it a couple of times. Here's the context for status quo bias which we all know. So for all of us, take a buyer and the status quo bias. Buyers know that they don't want to change because they got an inventory of the current vendor stuff. So there's a switching cost problem they've got. All buyers know that all change is difficult, even good change is difficult to execute. And buyers won't just shift for a 4% improvement. Right. So the right context would be, if a buyer is unhappy with their current vendor, we have a real opportunity here. Mm-hmm. But if the buyer is okay or happy with their current vendor, and we don't want to get them to switch to us, we have to do three things. Address the switching cost strategy. In other words, mm-hmm. offer to buy their inventory of the competitor stuff and sell it off mm-hmm. at a discount. We got to show them they don't have to lift a finger to make this happen. And based on the challenger sale you mentioned, we have to show a 15% improvement. Right. Or buyers just right. won't shift. Just what's exactly what you're talking about. Got to have that ROI. And it's right. significant well, now. And I also think if there really isn't a benefit, you shouldn't be proposing it. And then the, the best way for you to build a credibility with a customer is to say, look, based on what I've heard, now is not a good time for action. Because that builds so much credibility if you can say that. But I would never recommend somebody take action if there wasn't a customer benefit to it. But having said that, if you've done the work that you described in your book, Close Deals Faster, which is a deep dive into customer needs and motivations and an ROI and what their business is and what their challenges are, most cases you can find it. Very seldom that I would walk away from a sale. There are times I've done that. And every time I've done that, there was almost shock and amazement on the customer's part because why would you do that? If there's not enough reason to do it, if the changing cost, as you said, is too high, you shouldn't do it. Fortunately, right. most of the time, especially with technology, there is. And I think even 15% is probably not enough. I found that if it's not double or triple, uh, people won't switch. Uh, now, there's a great book, and I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's called How to Get Your Competition Fired. Um, and it's by a guy named, um, I think his name is Randy Schwartz. Um, uh, and it's a great yes. book. And he talks about yes. what he calls the, the wedge technique. 
Um, and when you get down to it, nobody's 100% happy with anything. Think about it. You're happy with your wife, your house, your car, your job, but are you really? Uh, it doesn't take too long for people to peel back and they, eh, there's some things about their car they don't like. It doesn't quite get the mileage and the, you know, the rearview mirror doesn't work quite right and it stalls a little bit and starter doesn't always work. For whatever, once people start going down that road of dissatisfaction, it tends to snowball <laughs> quickly. The same with a house. Right. People are happy to house forever and all of a sudden I can't stand it anymore and I got to leave. But we can help that with artful questioning. So I like to go in with a three-part question. Say, what do you like best about what you have? If there's one thing you could change, what would it be? And then why? And you start doing that probing questioning. Even people who are, quote, they start with their arms crossed in front of their chest. Oh, everything's great. Love it. What's one thing you could change? What's one thing that would make your life easier? If, there's, if you had a magic wand, what would you do? That's where the, the work of urgency comes in. It's not at the end. It's in the probing and the discovery. When you find out what they would like to do, how they'd like to have it, what would make their life easier? And if you dig around, John, you know this, nobody's 100% happy with anything. And if you get that little sliver of discontent and probe and ask, it'll get bigger and bigger and bigger. I call it sometimes like the pebble in the shoe. When you first get a pebble in the shoe, it's uncomfortable. If it stays in there, it becomes painful. And if it really stays in there a long time, it becomes infected. It's the same pebble. The longer it lasts, the bigger the problem becomes. John, and it's time for the wrap-up. <laughs> Good. Thank you, uh, Dave. Never, never ask a salesperson to be on a, on a call like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, just to kind of follow up what you just said. Um, it's important to ask first, what do they like? Then that gets the right. arms off the chest. Right. And so once they've said that, when you ask just one thing you can make better, then they start talking and it snowballs because of exactly. the negativity bias. So it's a great, it's tech, great, great technique. So Mike, it's been great talking to you as always. If you could leave the listeners with um, one, two or three things you'd like them to, to take away. And of course, how can they contact you if they want more? Well, uh, thank you, John. Certainly, I'm a student of this, just like you are. And I probably have a couple dozen books on persuasion. But the, the number one takeaway is your default mindset needs to be not that customers are rational, make logical decisions, just the opposite. We're incredibly irrational. Even though we appear, yep. we think we're irrational, there are subconscious motivations. The best book on it, the best starting place, as you probably know, was the Landmark book, Influenced by Robert Cialdini. And yeah. that's a good starting point because it talks about Great so many ways point. that we that we don't act as, as logically as we'd like to think that we do in so many ways. Yeah. In terms of myself, there are not many Schmidtmans out there. I think there's less than 100 in the whole country. So if you see a Schmidtman, um, <laughs> I've got a website and a LinkedIn profile, but I'm happy to connect with anybody here. And like you, John, I'm a student of the business. And I also admire people like yourself who serve customers who are authentic and have real value to offer. Thank you, Mike. And um, your, your reputation, you know, as the trusted advisor salesperson is just uh, terrific. It really sets you apart from a lot of other salespeople and sales coaches in the field. So thanks so much for being on Thank the you. show. Thank you. Thank you, John and Mike. That's all the time we have for today. Our next show is in two weeks. Be sure to join us. From now until then, John Asher reminds us to please, please get out there and sell something. Paul, take it away. You've been listening to another episode of Asher Sales Sense right here on Asher Strategies Radio. 